The number one question we get from listeners is, do we have a written step-by-step roadmap to guide you on how to train your dog? We don't, but Standing Stone Supply does. They're the creators of the complete step-by-step dog training program that takes your dog from brand new puppy and gets it well on its way to that finished dog you've always dreamed of. They've mapped out the timelines to help guide you, the videos for every step of the way to show you, and even have the needed gear made into shopping lists to make it easy to supply you. Check out the course at StandingStoneSupply.com to gain unlimited access for all current as well as future lessons and be sure to use the code GDIY to save 10% at sign up. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY 20 at checkout to save 20%. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. I'll get my guitar. I'll get my washboard. I'll go get my string bass, which is really a keyboard. Hey, man, I'm going to go get my banjo. Maybe I'll go get a little accordion, man. What do you think? No. No, 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 no banjo, man. Go. One, two, three. Hey, yo, man, I'm, I'm going to go now. I'm going to take a verse right now. Blue moon up, Kentucky, keep on shining. We shine on the one that's going to prove untrue. Blue moon up, Kentucky, keep on shining. We shine on the one that's going to let me blue. Bobby, put that down. That's the jug I keep stuff in. If you're currently in the market for a kennel, then be sure to check out Gunner Kennels. Gunner Kennels is the only kennel that's five-star crash rated from the Center for Pet Safety. The double-wall rotomodal construction ensures it holds up in all types of weather and conditions. Also, Gunner Kennels has a lifetime warranty. These kennels are built to last a lifetime, and Gunner stands behind that. Gunner also has all the accessories you can need from fan kits to help keep them cool, performance and orthopedic pads to help keep them comfortable and ready to go after long travels, and even tie-down straps to help ensure there's no worries for the kennel moving or sliding around in your truck. So if you need man's best kennel for man's best friend, head on over to gundogityourself.com and click on the Gunner link. Be sure to purchase your kennel, accessories, and even gift cards for holidays and birthdays through our link and it will go a long way in helping out the podcast. Welcome back to another week of GDIY. Me and Adam are just in from our trip out into East Tennessee in the mountains. Literally just walked in the doors, and y'all are the first people that we've talked to. Special announcement. Nick has finally gotten the monkey off his back, and it looks like he's going to have a taxidermy fee in his near future. (laughs) Hopefully. Hopefully it was in good enough shape. But, uh, yeah, so... I think the grouse is now extinct in Tennessee. We we got the last one this weekend. So I actually got two in the group yesterday. So go four <laughs> seasons without seeing anything. And then uh, then we fly six birds and get two. And wasn't really expecting that. I figured it was going to be another typical Tennessee grouse hunt with uh, just hiking through the woods with a gun. Yeah, it's got to be very rewarding. I know you killed some grouse in uh, Wisconsin earlier this year. But to go that many seasons... I mean, I've just been a couple times this year, and last weekend, I'm like, man, I don't know how many weekends I can put in <laughs> driving to East Tennessee and then hear one grouse after hunting for like eight hours between a couple days and then drive back, yeah. uh, but it definitely pays off. Yeah, it, it's probably the most rewarding uh I don't know, accomplishment in the outdoors I've had to date. It's, uh, I definitely put in the time and miles and, uh, effort into this and 
lot of people, they look at me like I'm crazy. You've gone four years chasing this. And it's like, it kind of becomes a point of stubbornness where it's like, I'm going to find a freaking grouse Yeah, or yeah, it just, it, it had to happen. And yesterday was the day finally happened. Yeah. We had a uh, Eagle scout Walker with us this weekend and my son Connor and, uh, they did great. I mean, they, they carried the guns today. We hunted today was the only day we hunted together. Uh, you know, on the same walks, but both, both the, the younger guys carried the guns today yeah. and they did great. Uh, they were safe the whole time. They didn't complain at all. I mean, you know, a couple times Connor's like, man, all these briars. I'm like, well, <laughs> sorry, buddy, but that means we're in good grouse yep. cover if it's yep. miserable. And Walker, he, he was excited. He was like a kid on Christmas Eve all week. He, he was just like, man, we need to get out and hunt. I'm like, well, come this weekend. And, and his, his folks gave him the go ahead. And, yeah. and all week is just every, every day he was text me something. And I, and I kept telling him, I'm like, look, stay hopeful, stay optimistic, but just know realistically, we're not going to see anything. Right. <laughs> and in the first day we go out there, we fly six birds and get shots on two of them. And he's just like, Oh, Oh my God. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, don't get used to this, buddy. Even before we saw birds, we stopped for lunch and 15 minutes into it, Nick was cooking lunch and, uh, He's like, we need to get back into the woods and start hunting again. <laughs> so he's he's really going to be into it now. Yep. So tell us what we got coming up uh, for this episode, Nick. Bluegrass Uplanders. They're a group out of Kentucky, hence the bluegrass. And uh, it's really just kind of similar to to our own group that we train and hunt together. They they just uh, have, the, have the same passion. They do a lot of uh, preserve guiding and help each other train dogs. And uh, ultimately, they're just trying to get more people involved in the in the upland deal and the dog dog world by uh, by guiding them through preserves. And they're trying to branch out into uh, kind of the private land sector that they're focusing on. Uh, some of the properties that are primarily deer hunted. And so maybe somebody from a few decades ago used to bird hunt, but numbers went down and for whatever reason they got out of it. And they're, they're just kind of reaching out and finding new opportunities to get those people back involved in it. And, uh, yeah, ultimately it's just a group of guys that share the same passion and, uh, just keep trying to make things happen. Yeah. It sounds like, uh, they want wild birds just as much as anyone else does. And they're doing, pretty good at getting private land access it's interesting if you go knock on someone's door and ask to hunt they're like no way but then when you tell them i just want to hunt birds they're like oh yeah go you know yeah your chances of getting permission are much greater with especially when you say i don't even have to carry the gun do you want to carry the gun right like i just want the bird bird numbers and contacts for my dogs and uh, that's what i think Corey speaks to that is it's a lot easier to get somebody to to go and let you hunt if you take them with you and you can't really do that deer hunting uh, but bird hunting you can and so they're having success on that so they they talk talk about that they talk about the trial association and just kind of give a rundown of the whole group in general and who's involved and you kind of have a a different mix of experience as far as who trains who even does social media and who trials mainly and but uh, yeah, ultimately we we continue talking about finding buddies, mentors, people to help you along, and that's pretty much what they did. And they just stuck a name on it, and they're just trying to stay busy. Yeah, strength in numbers. They all they all help each other out. I think Corey seems to be the the ringleader of it all. Uh, but they all help each other out with land access and raising puppies and training tips with each other, and they're all interested in the same thing. So they started a group. Um, yeah, I think that's really all we have. So without further ado, enjoy the episode with Bluegrass Uplanders, and we'll catch you next week. If you're looking for new apparel that works better for you in the field, be sure to check out the amazing products at Duck Camp. They're a direct-to-consumer company that prides itself in producing high-quality gear for every type of outdoorsman, including wing shooters. Unlike your shooting, their Upland shirts are a can't-miss. They're available in different weights to make sure you get what you need on your hunt. Check them out through the link on our website, gundogityourself.com. And if you purchase something, please be sure to tell them GDIY sent you. If you're currently in the market for a kennel, then be sure to check out Gunner Kennels. Gunner Kennels is the only kennel that's five-star crash rated from the Center for Pet Safety. The double-wall, rotor-molded construction ensures it holds up in all types of weather and conditions. 
Also, Gunner Kennels has a lifetime warranty. These kennels are built to last a lifetime, and Gunner stands behind that. Gunner also has all the accessories you can need, from fan kits to keep them cool, performance and orthopedic pads to help keep them comfortable and ready to go after long travels, and even tie-down straps to help ensure there's no worries for the kennel moving or sliding around. So if you need man's best kennel for man's best friend, head on over to gundogityourself.com and click on the Gunner link. Be sure to purchase your kennel, accessories, and even gift cards for holidays and birthdays through our link, and it will go a long way in helping out the podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to GDIY. We're on the phone with Corey Bigelow of Bluegrass Uplanders. Corey, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good. How are you guys doing? I live in the dream. Can't complain. I guess to start off with the obvious, tell everybody where you're from and where you live now. All right. Uh, my name is Corey Bigelow, and I'm uh, originally from outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in a town called Greensburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, and currently, I live right outside of Fort Knox, Kentucky. Um, due to the being in the Army, uh, it's put me out here. And uh, currently, though, I'm stationed at Louisville Meps up in uh, downtown Louisville. I work at the, the Meps up there. So, Awesome. Tell us what got you into bird dogs and how long you've been hunting with them. Uh, well... <laughs> It's a funny story. I literally went pheasant hunting one time uh, with a group of buddies and loved it so much. Uh, about two months later, I had my first bird dog, um, and that was back in 2008. Um, and uh, I got a, an English pointer, and uh, his name is Ruger. I still got him. He's upstairs right now, and uh, pretty much have fell in love with it ever since then. And it's one of those addictions that I can't really kick. <laughs> Yeah, we totally understand. So all it took was once, and then you went out and got your first bird dog. Yeah, literally, you know, didn't tell the wife I was doing it, came home with a puppy. <laughs> Perfect. You know, <laughs> that whole deal. So. <laughs> How'd but, that uh, go over for you? Oh, I'm totally one of those guys that, that begs for forgiveness uh, instead <laughs> of asking for for permission. So, um, I mean, I got, I, I got six bird dogs, so... <laughs> that tells you a little bit about it, you know. So, did you tell her any any warning on the uh, other bird dogs, or did you just show up with them as well? Uh, no. So, um, the so I said I have six. I actually have five. A couple weeks ago, uh, we had to put our our female down. She was just getting too old. Um, but that dog, she just showed up. She she showed up at the house one day. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, ever since then. The, we had a litter of puppies. We we kept the puppy out of that litter, and and you know the wife. I think she, you know, there's a lot worse things I could be doing out there than having a bunch of bird dogs. So, absolutely. Um, so you, so you're a bird dog guy, and you just had a bird dog show up at your house. Did your wife believe that, or was she like, all right, Corey? <laughs> no, not of all, not at all. Uh, of course, like one of my my recent dogs. I got two short hairs this year, and uh, the one literally was asked by a buddy can you kennel this dog for me for about a month i don't have any kennel space um and now he is my dog so (laughs) see how that turned out um but yeah she loves it she knows how much i love it um we have a six-year-old daughter that absolutely adores every single one of these dogs and uh you know she bakes at home here with mama but then she goes hunting with dad and the dog so um you know it's definitely a lifestyle for us so you said you started off with an English pointer and you still have him and then two short hairs. What, what other breeds do you have going on with those, those five bird dogs in the house? So right now I've got two English pointers. Um, my other English pointer, Jed, he was a dog that was given to me, um, by a, a, a guy that we know mutually, Brandon Tarquinio. Um, he got him from a guy that had too many bird dogs. And uh, this guy asked him, hey, do you know anybody that would want this dog? Um, and Brandon thought of me because um, my dog, Harley, that we just put down, she had tore her ACL uh, about two years ago. So she was kind of, you know, in the retirement window anyway. Um, another dog. And uh, so I've got Jed. And then I lived in North Dakota for two years because of the Army. And, uh, you know, of course I can't live somewhere where I need a waterfowl dog and not have a waterfowl dog. <laughs> uh, so I ended up with a yellow lab, um, from a trainer out of Wisconsin 
uh, started Yellow Lab. So I've had I've had one puppy uh, that I trained myself, but every dog since then um, has basically been started dogs. Um, so got two English pointers, two German short hairs, and one Yellow Lab right now. That'll keep you busy. Yep, yeah, it's a lot of fun. So I know you just got back from Kansas. Did you end up taking all of them with you to Kansas? Uh, I ended up taking three of them, um, my Yellow Lab, uh, and then Jed, my English Pointer, and Tuck, my German Short Air. Um, the puppy we have is only about four months old. And then old man Ruger, he's uh, going on 11. So he's pretty well, you know, He you got to sign language him back into the house. So he's pretty well retired as well. But uh, I think on that trip, we ended up having 20 dogs with us, um, between five of us. So, yeah, we roll kind of (laughs) deep. We we don't want to take any chances on these long trips. So, Yeah, definitely. So how did you guys do out in Kansas? Tell us about your trip. Uh, It it was pretty good. Uh, We definitely worked for the the little Bob Whites that we were after. Um, The first leg of our trip, we, we goose hunted for two days. Um, in a town called McPherson, Kansas. And, uh, the first day we did, we did fairly well. We got, I think we put 21 geese on the ground. Um, you know, for me, it's all about the dog work, getting my lab as many retrieves as possible. So, um, oh, yeah. that's what I was out there for. And, uh, and then Sunday we, we didn't do too well. Um, we only got a few, but it was still fun. He, he got a couple water retrieves. We hunted a little pond. So, um, and then the Bob Whites definitely kicked our butts. Um, I know you guys chase after wild Bob Whites, and hey, what man, they're <laughs> they are definitely a different bird to hunt. We're used to hunting pheasants and, and prairie chickens and sharp tail and um, little quail. They definitely can elude you, um, but we did pretty good. I think we ended up with like thirty quail and uh, about twenty pheasants. I'd say that was a pretty good trip. Yeah, you guys had a good trip. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I you know sometimes we go out there and between five of us we'll shoot you know pretty much a limit every day. So um, they were definitely we had some good days, but we we made bird contacts every day. Um, you know for some reason and and my dogs have hunted wild quail here in Kentucky, um, but for whatever reason um, you know, some of the dogs just weren't. I don't, I don't know what it was. They were passing up birds, but um, you know we bust the covey up and then go hunt singles. So. But it was fun. I mean, it was a new experience. We had never hunted Kansas before. Oh, yeah. I'm hoping to make it up there in the next year or two myself. So we have you on here tonight to talk about Bluegrass Uplanders. And essentially, it's just kind of a group of guys that got together with the same passion. So I guess just start off with uh, how did all you guys kind of come together and meet? And where did the idea of Bluegrass Uplanders come from? So, um... I myself, I, I, I don't want to say that I'm the ringleader, but um, you know, I, I kind of am the one that got everybody together. Um, Eric and I are both active duty recruiters. Eric works at the recruiting command here on Fort Knox, um, and he actually was coming here from Oregon and started surfing some of the Facebook pages here in Kentucky for hunting and saw me, and then I had four bird dogs at the time, uh, and was basically like, I'm going to be friends with that guy. So he contacted me, uh, drove all the way from Oregon to Kentucky with his family. Um, the most important thing that he brought, though, I mean, his family is very important, but he was towing a duck boat with a hard-sided blind on it. Perfect. And uh, the first time I met the man, he drove to my house. I mean, we talked on the phone, but the first time I met him in person, drove to my house and left his $25,000 duck boat in my garage. Um, Best friends. And then you changed changed uh, phone numbers, right? (laughs) And moved. I mean, I I used that boat all of 2019 to to, to bowfish, so um, I definitely cannot complain. Uh, You know, the duck hunting around here is definitely, uh, it's it's definitely a little little hard to duck hunt around here, but... um, you know, we kind of switch it up and switch between focusing on upland and duck hunting. So, um, but, and then Dylan, uh, I kind of met him on the internet too. I bought a shotgun off of him. He was selling and, uh, um, Dylan's got a pretty epic beard. Um, 
like a you know kind of a duck dynasty beard <laughs> and uh so him and i became friends and hit it off and and uh he's been around bird dogs uh, or not bird dogs uh rabbit dogs and coon dogs um yeah. most of his life but with us you know we're basically introducing him into the bird dog scene um and then our fourth guy josh uh, I met him doing some UFTA uh, trials, United Field Trialer Association, um, a couple years, like three or four years ago, and him and I became friends. He was new to field trialing, and um, you know, we just kind of hit it off. And he said at the beginning, you know, we all just have a common passion for hunting, the outdoors, and most importantly, for us, it's all about the dogs. Um you know, a lot of times we don't even care to carry a gun. If somebody else wants to hunt, we'll take them and, you know, let them shoot as long as we can handle our dogs and get, um, you know, contact on birds. So Awesome. Yeah, so tell us, what is Bluegrass Uplanders? We got all the uh, the characters for the cast. What do you guys do? I mean, obviously you hunt together, but what else do you guys yeah, have so going on? basically, it, it was just kind of a, um, kind of one of those things that just transpired. Um, Dylan had sort of a similar thing going with the guys that just waterfowl hunted. Um, and him and I were out, uh, hunting one day. I think we went, we actually got invited to go on someone's property to, to quail hunt. And, uh, I was like, you know, man, I, I really want to not showcase And This is all showcasing what the dogs do. You know what I mean? We're part of that. Yeah. Um, kind of just to put out there like what we do you know the importance of these breeds of dogs that we have to give them an outlet and you know so many people get abs and short hairs is just pets and they don't understand why they're chewing their couch in half um you know and it's just kind of a we guide at a couple places locally here um you know so just uh, the passion of upland bird hunting kind of all came together and formed bluegrass uplanders um, you know, kind of just something to to put a name to what we're doing. That's kind of how it all started. Um, kind of snowballed from there. So yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so you mentioned having six dogs in the house, and you mentioned giving the dogs an outlet. Do your dogs live in the house? So um, it, it kind of depends um, what's going on. I have a three-run kennel in my garage. Um, Right now, I've got four dogs in the house. The puppy's in the house, but he'll we, we kind of transition them between the kennel and the garage, the house because if I don't trust the dog yet to be let loose in the house when I'm not home, I'd rather them be in the kennel and them have uh, you know a little bit more room to to reverse in there. Um, our in the winter time, our kennels are heated and they've got heated water bowls and stuff like that, so um, you know they're all taking up raised beds and stuff in there. Um, but I like to transition them between the kennel and the house. Um, right now, my dog Jed's in the house. He's normally in the kennel, but he got cut on some barbed wire in Kansas, so he's got a pretty significant gash on his chest that um, had to be stitched up. So he's up in the house being taken care of, and um, eventually he'll go back down there. But it just kind of all depends on what we have going on in our daily lives, if we want four dogs in the house or not. Well, real quick, side note, with Jeb hit, getting hit by the uh, barbed wire fence, or I guess him hitting the barbed wire fence, did you have to do some kind of emergency field stapling, or did, what What did you do, just pick them up and run them to the vet? Um, no, we were, uh, where we were at, this. I'm not sure that there was a vet remotely close to us. Um, we kind of, you know, with having that many dogs, there's a reason why we have many dogs on the ground um, with us on these trips is because if something like that happens, we want to be able to fix that dog, put him in the trailer, and then hunt another dog once not over. Um, so, unfortunately, I was about two or three miles from the truck. Um, so, I hunted him back. Obviously, you know, it wasn't significant enough that he couldn't continue to hunt. Um, but... And then we had another dog in the group that cut the top of his back uh, on some barbed wire. Forewarning, if you go to Kansas, it's literally covered wire. Um, I ripped a giant hole in my Filson chaps. Um, so I had to do a stitch repair on those. But 
Um, basically, when we got back to the uh, to the cabin that we were staying at, um, you know, we I didn't have a suture kit with us, so we improvised. Um, we got a needle and some uh, um, dental floss. Um, you know, non-flavored, non-wax dental floss, and uh, stitched both of the dogs up like that. So, um, but suture kits is something that I've added to my uh, first aid kit since we've got back. Um, but Jed, I didn't hunt on the other dog. He was able to hunt because it was on the top of his back. So, um, but yeah, we usually do all of our own. You know, that kind of stuff that we can do out in the field. Uh, it was kind of superficial. It wasn't through the muscle at all it was just through the top layer of skin so yeah we're all pretty comfortable with you know fixing stuff like that and i've watched i ha- had the same thing happen to another dog and my friend's wife happened to be there who was a seamstress and she sewed her right up for me so awesome um, yeah you do this things that you learn i got guns in the box too so right you do you do this long enough you're gonna have a have a dog injury that you you kind of learn how to do some yeah. of this stuff and get kind of creative yeah, like you did with the floss well, I, I and a, guess a $400 vet bill to stitch that up will definitely make you <laughs> learn how to do those things. My wife's a nurse too, and she is uh, going to a, a suture class too. So she'll teach me all that stuff. You there know, you go. A little bit better. Than yeah. I know it now. So, <laughs> all right. Well, getting back to your bluegrass uplanders, I know you kind of introduced all the members of the group. Kind of describe what each member of the group's responsible for and their experience level with dogs and guiding and everything you just touched on a second ago. And then, then we'll kind of get into the, some more, uh, training details. Yeah. Um, so I've been, uh, like I said, at the beginning, I've been um, doing the bird dog thing since about 2008. Um, and <laughs> like I said, I, I, I Officially not the ringleader, but, you know, I kind of take on that role. Um, Somebody's got to do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, um, I, I've been guiding at hunting preserves, you know, put and take hunting preserves since about 2010. Um, and, uh, you know, my experience level with that, Eric and I were just having a conversation about it, you know, because he, he's getting into the guiding with me as well at the one preserve local preserve that we have that, that asks us to come out to, to guide for them. Sure. And, uh, you know, it's not so much the guiding with the, the dogs and stuff like that. It's more like interacting with the people and everybody's got a different skill level. So, uh, you know, that's, I think probably my biggest role is interacting with, with the public that we're, you know, um, put in front of, um, and stuff like that. So, and then, uh, Eric, he, he is the current member that I've watched take a puppy, um, and train him. I wouldn't say a finished dog yet, but he's on his way to get there. Um, you know, and Eric is also very, um, he's a very people person and, and kind of boisterous, uh, kind of like myself. So he, uh, you know, helps me with the guiding and stuff like that as well. Um, and Dylan, the beard man, he's a social media guru. Um, you know, we started this page, we had probably a thousand likes within like a three week period, um, because of his efforts and the stuff that he does. Um, and you know, like I said at the beginning, he's new to the bird dog scene. Um, I was actually able to help him get a puppy through a guy that I know from field trialing. Um, you know, and kind of mentor him and help him as far as like, you can go get a puppy from anybody that's any one of these breeds, but really need to do the research and figure out, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to be better off in the long run, spending a little bit more money on a puppy that comes from proven parents and proven bloodlines versus, you know, just a backyard breeder. So Absolutely. Uh, yeah, we, we've I've learned that lesson myself about you know starting out with uh, just the most available or cheapest dog, and then and then you start to learn about quality and how important it is. But most importantly, what you just hit on is having a mentor. And we talk about doing this yourself. Um, you know, it's still really important to have a mentor, and and I have mentors that have helped me through the process, and it's invaluable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then Josh, he, 
Josh had bird dogs growing up, so I didn't grow up hunting. Um, my dad stopped hunting when I became of age, and I kind of went through that with my, my brothers. Um, so I actually didn't start hunting um, until I came home from my first deployment. And, uh, you know, shout out to the Army because everything that I have today is because of the career that I've chose, you know, the places I've got to live and the things I've got to do, hobby-wise, or a direct reflection of that. Um, Getting stationed in North uh, Dakota so doesn't it, hurt, for sure. No, when when my career manager called me and said, hey, I got Fargo, North Dakota, do you want to go there? I'm like, when can we leave? Like, <laughs> no, I was ecstatic. I mean, it was nothing to go out and, you know, 50... 60 miles from Fargo and flush 500 pheasants, um, you know, on a walk by myself. So, um, you know, but Josh, so Josh grew up with bird dogs, um, and he ended up had a bird dog till he was about in high school and then went to college and everything. And, but when he, his son became old enough to start hunting with him, he got back into bird dogs. Um, and, uh, they lived out in North Carolina. So there was grouse out there and, uh, he ended up getting a drink short hair and uh with his and i think we'll get into that probably a little bit later he has a a kennel that he runs and uh um he raises litters of of gsps every year usually okay well i know you touched a minute ago on you've been kind of the guiding mentor for eric and everything kind of just describe some of the key factors when it comes to guiding as opposed to just hunting so um you know the guiding that we're doing on these put and take preserves, um, and I'm sure you, as you guys know, it's it's a way for us to, you know, and I, I kind of started out doing it when I uh, lived in Pennsylvania as a way just for my dogs to get on birds, um, you know, that, I mean, selfishly enough that I didn't have to pay for. Um, you know, a, any given weekend I could, if I was guiding Saturday and Sunday, because the one place they uh, you could in Pennsylvania, you can't hunt on Sundays, so the preserve had a license to be able to hunt on Sundays. Um, but for my dogs to get on, you know, 20 to 30 birds or more a weekend was something that was invaluable. So, um, you know, kind of took that, and, you know, the difference between that and hunting is those, you know, I'm just paying for a license to go hunt on my own, and, and I always tell the guys that we're taking our guns and our dogs for a walk. You know, if we make contact yep. with birds, then it became a bird hunt. Um, you know, but the people that are out there, you know, you might get people that have never hunted behind a dog before. You know, they might have shot a gun. I've, I've had people that have never shot a gun before. Um, you know, before we go out there with the dogs, we're out there throwing clay pigeons for them just so they can get the, the you know, the rhythm of shooting something that's flying. Um, but... You know, for me, that's the funnest part is is watching those other people. Watch your dogs work, and, and, you know, by no means do I think I have the greatest dogs on the planet. You know, sometimes I think my dogs suck, but... Um, <laughs> We're all there know, with you sometimes. And I, yeah. <laughs> like in Kansas, there was a couple times I'm like, come on, you knucklehead. Um, but, you know, they, they have never seen anything like that, some of them. And, you know, for them to, to see a dog go on point and hold point until you go in and flush the bird, um, you know, it's something that, that's truly amazing to them. Um, that, you, you know, know so Corey, we, I was, uh, I was getting into the same thing for a while. I was using, uh, preserves as a way to basically have somebody else pay for my, my birds and, and work on training my dog. And some of these same things you're talking about with, you don't know who you're going to end up with. So it just made me think about, uh, level of steadiness you train your dogs to be steady to wing shot and fall. What, what level of steadiness do you expect from your dogs? So with the, with a little bit of field trialing that I've done, um, and it's just like in the, you know, my thoughts are on this, those people are paying for those birds. So if they shoot the bird, I want my dog to get it and bring it back. Um, you know, it, even if they hit and break a wing and the bird's running. Sure. Um, so all of my dogs are steady to the flush. When when the when the birds they'll let you go in there and flush it, and when the guy shoots it, they're you know taken off. So um, I've never had a dog that's really jumped after birds. So with these reserve guided hunts, that's usually a, a huge factor. Like when I'm doing my safety brief with them, is like, look, if that bird's not 
above our heads, don't shoot it. If a dog is any, you know, where in question, do not take the shot. If we get a chance to follow up on that bird, we'll take that. Um, you know, so that's where I've been only because wild pheasant hunting in North Dakota, I have knocked down birds in like on the edges of barren fields. And if my dog wouldn't have broke on the flush, I would have never got that bird because it hit the ground running. Um, you know, so for me, it's not, I mean, in the field trialing world, I, if my dog had 200 yards to pick up that bird because I, I just nicked it and it's sailing down through the field, you know, those trials are all about speed. So you need that dog to break on the flush, um, yeah. you know, to, to get that bird back to you so you can, you know, score as high as you possibly can. Yeah, we were just talking about that recently on a road trip. Was we were talking about Nashua or Uf, UFTA and and those shoot to retrieve trials, and it's like with us doing NAVDA, it kind of directly contradicts the level of steadiness that we train to if we're hoping to be competitive in those trials. But uh, yeah. also, we've been in the situation recently in Iowa to where a, a rooster was shot and it actually wasn't recovered even with six dogs on the ground and, and all these dogs are accomplished in NAVDA and they can track and, and, and they, they're good at it. But if, like you said, the steadiness, if maybe one was just steady to the flush, it would have been right on top of it when it came down. So it's kind of give and take cons and positives to, to no matter what you do. But so we, we can definitely relate to everything you just said on that. Yeah. And so I hunt, um, when I'm wild bird hunting and I'll do this sometimes depending on, um, type of birds the clients are having put out. Um, if they're having pheasants put out, I usually don't quail. I usually won't, but if they're having chuckers put out, I like to hunt with my lab with the pointers. Um, so all of my pointers, including Eric's, I haven't hunted, um, the lab with any of Josh's pointers yet but are steady to the lab coming in and flushing for them. So to me, that's, you know, as long as they can do that, especially in a wild bird situation, um, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that, but to me there's nothing cooler when them pointers slam a point. And my lab just stays at heel with me the whole time. I'll let him range a little bit, or if he gets birdie, I'll let him go. Um, but they slam on a point. He'll actually, um, I've actually got a, a picture um that I'm going to post on the on the page here in a couple of days that I'm waiting for Brandon to send to me. Um, three short hairs went on point, and my lab gunner, he's gotten to the point now where he, when he sees those pointers go on point, he sits down. And he sits down because he's waiting for us to get up there and get ready. Even if he sits down and we're 20 yards in front of him, he'll let us get ready, and then I just say his name and release him, and he comes in like a bulldozer, um, you know, like a bull in a china shop and, and flushes, you know, is in there until he flushes the bird. So as long as they're steady to my flusher, that's really all I care about. Yeah. I've gotten experience that one time in Wisconsin last year and, and it can definitely save you some, some trips through the briars or some thick brush and ultimately just get you in a better shooting position for when the bird does Absolutely. come up. And so how, how long did it take you to, to train your labs and pointers to, to work in concert like that? So, um, probably the last, I got Jed in 2017 and, uh, pretty much he, since I've got him, um, and I've been doing that with him with the lab, uh, and then my short hair tuck, I've only had him a few months, um, hunting with him. Um, since I actually got Tuck from Josh, uh, Josh was the one that asked if I had some kennel space to put Tuck in uh, until he had some room because he had a, a couple dogs that he was training in his house. And uh, it, it really, I, I mean, it's crazy to see them figure it out. Um, but basically my lab, every time we would go into flush, I would sit him next to me and then wait for my guys to get ready, you know, if I was out doing a guided hunt at the preserve. And this year, he just kind of figured it out on his own. Okay, when I see those pointers go on point, I sit down. And then I wait for these guys to get ready until, you know, I tell them to go in there and flush. So, awesome. Um, 
I don't, I, I, it's probably something that I inadvertently trained him to do. Um, but really, I think that part, they, you know, kind of trained himself to do it. Um, well, it's just those consistent repetitions. That's, that's all it is. It's same with everything on these dogs, but you know, you, you're training without even specifically aiming to train that and the dogs pick up on it. So I know with your whole group, you kind of have puppies spread out everywhere. I know you mentioned that you're, you know, Dylan's trading his social media guru skills for help training his dog. I think you and Josh both have puppies getting trained up right now. Are all of them kind of at the same level and age right now? Are y'all all kind of working on the same stuff? Um, so Josh and Dylan actually have litter mates. Um, Josh, uh, Josh is, has a female Pearl and then Dylan has uh, a little male pup named Gator. And, uh, I think they're about three months old. Um, and then Josh just actually got a, uh, field bred English cocker. Um, and then I've got, uh, a German short hair, um, Axel that's about four months old. Um, kind of when we do train and it's, it's, you know, once every couple of weeks, you know, when we get time to do that outside of everything else that we're doing. Um, we kind of just hit on the same thing. Like a, a week or so ago, we were um, putting the dogs on the check cord. So basically all the, the you know, here and all that stuff is, is something that just keeps on going. Um, you know, it's kind of ongoing for us. We do all the time. I mean, the whole time I was gone in, in Kansas, um, my wife, who iterate on this, did not want a puppy. Um, you would think that this <laughs> actual puppy that I have is, is her dog. Um, all the pictures that I got of her snuggling on the couch with him <laughs> while I was gone. It's funny how that but works. The whole time, yeah, the whole time I was gone, she was throwing the bumper down the hallway, um, getting them steady on that. You know, it, as simple as, as, when feeding, we don't let him eat until we tell him that he can eat. You know, nope. so we stand him there and and when he's ready to, when we're ready for him to eat, say his name and let him go in and, and eat. Um, so, but as far as like <clears throat> introduction to to the birds and and gun and stuff like that, um, Eric and myself, we uh, <clears throat> follow have been following the the. Um, The George Hickox oh, training yeah. pointing dogs uh, DVD. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and for me, I basically had my last puppy in 2008 Ruger. Um, and I, like I said before, since then I've had pretty much all started dogs that I've just honed what they already knew how to do. And uh, so, but we've kind of been following this. Um, Eric, his dog that he has now, he did this whole training routine with them. Um, from everything to bird introduction to the force fetch to, you know, woe breaking and all that stuff. So Eric and I are kind of going off of that, you know, the introduction to birds uh, first because it's been so long since I've done this, I, I didn't even really realize, like, that the introduction to the birds at a young age to me is very important because you might do all this training with this dog and it's never had a pheasant flush in its face before. And, you know, as soon as that dog sees a pheasant flush in front of it, it freaks out and runs off. Um, you know, so that kind of training mentality, you know, is something that we've kind of done um, with the pups that we have now. And we have <clears throat> the opportunity, all of us have acreage. I've got four acres. Eric's got three acres and uh, Josh has six acres. So we've all got birds at our houses. I've got like 30 chickens here. So my dog's always exposed to something with wings on it. So, um, you know, but I, I'd say we're, we're kind of with the puppies. We're all kind of at the same level. Um, you know, it just depends on, on who's putting in the extra time at home outside of the little training sessions that we're doing. So, yeah, I, I'd be interested to know if you guys, uh, disagree on stuff and I, and I don't have four acres. I've got like a third of an acre. So I'm constantly coming up with, <laughs> ways to to run my dog train my dog get it in front of birds it, it can get interesting sometimes do you, what do you guys disagree on usually as far as training are you guys all pretty much on the same page um 
I think we're pretty much all on the same page. I mean, we, you know, maybe the, like, I don't really care. Like we talked about a little bit already, the, you know, the Eddie, the flush, the wing got and fall and all that stuff. I don't really care about that. Um, you know, where Eric, he was just talking here a little bit ago where he, he that happened to him over the weekend when he was guiding guy shot a bird uh, kind of went through the gauntlet. Everybody shot at it. I think the last guy I hit it didn't stay there until Eric released them to go get the bird. So, you know, but to me, that's not important. But, yeah, I don't I don't think we really disagree on much. Um, you know, probably the only thing is whose puppy's better than, yeah. than the, the next <laughs> one. And uh, all I got to say is on Monday I did a guided hunt and took Axel out on the property after the hunt, and he pointed – sent pointed – his first bird that he found uh, that I did not plant out in the field. So always, um, that's always fun. I'd venture to say that my puppy is the best one right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love watching young dogs like that point. They don't, they don't know what they're doing or why they're doing it. it. Just instinct takes over and they just lock up. It's really cool to watch. So y'all kind of are on the same page, but does each one of y'all have kind of different strengths and weaknesses when it comes to training? Like is one guy like, okay, I, one guy's better at steadiness. One guy's better at force fetch. Uh, one guy's better at tracking, whatever. Uh, do y'all kind of divide and conquer that way? Or do y'all all just kind of do all the same stuff? I think right now, just because, like, again, like I said, this is my first puppy since 2008. So I'm like, you know, the whole puppy realm is, is, sounds weird but it's foreign to me right now um and with dylan you know this being his first bird dog puppy you know we're probably still on the same level so we kind of just go off of what eric and josh tell us to do uh along with this dvd that we watch um you know so it's other than the yard work and stuff like that i think we probably all are doing the yard work stuff a little different um as far as your command, introducing them to the e-collar and stuff like that, because that's stuff that we can do, you know, I mean, your third of an acre lot, you can easily do that kind of stuff at, you don't need, you know, big acreage and stuff like that to do that, so, um, yeah, I mean, I think we're, you know, kind of just follow the leader on, on who is, whose place we're training at that day. Yeah, so out of all these dogs, I mean, I can't even keep count of all the dogs, talked about i know it's a bunch and you took 20 to kansas somebody's <laughs> got to be into breeding dogs at this point is anybody breeding their own um does um he's got uh mustard seed kennels which he they started when they lived in uh north carolina when they got their first couple dogs and uh so he usually has about one to two litters a year of uh short hairs um and and usually uh getting the stud from, from wherever, you know, whatever proven dogs that he's got. I mean, us being involved in UFTA <coughs> definitely helps, um, you know, as far as having a, a pool of dogs to breed from. Sure. But yeah, he had uh, a litter past year um, out of a, 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 one of his males, but a friend of his brought the female in to, to Josh's house and Josh raised the litter at his house. Well, I know we touched a minute ago on UFTA and you just brought it up again. I know you and you and Josh, uh, competing UFTA a lot, kind of break down the UFTA environment, kind of what their trial is and, and describe what, what level of success y'all have reached in that. And, and what's the, plan moving forward with it so the the ufta is a is a shoot to retrieve um trial association and uh basically what it is is um the thing that kind of drew me to it was that it's either you do it or you don't do it um the judging is based off of criteria the judges unlike some of the other circuits are not judging your dog style um, they're not really judging the handling of the dog. Uh, basically, your dog finds a bird. It points it for three seconds. Um, you go in and flush the bird, shoot the bird, 
preferably with one shell, and the dog has to bring it back to you within one step. Um, and the faster you do that, the more points you get, and then that ranks you, um, you know, for that specific trial. Uh, and then every year at the end of the year, um, as long as your dog, for the open pointing dogs, they've got to have six runs uh, to be qualified for the national of the year. Um, and the uh, flushing dogs, I believe they've got to have six runs. Amateur dogs have to have three runs. Uh, and then the doubles teams, they, they have to have three runs um, for each double team uh, in both pointing and flushing. Um, but basically, that, that's primarily it. The, the flushing side of it, um, your dog can grab the bird. Um, you just don't get shot credit for that. So, you know, it's, it's basically, like I said, it's a, a do-or-you-don't type of field trial. Um, there's no, you know, sometimes in some of the field trials, like if the judge is a pointer guy, you know, and, and you have a short hair, well, he might judge you a little harsher than if the guy has a, a pointer out there. Um, you mean there's so politics not, in the field trial world? Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> if you've got a, you know, if you've got a wire hair that's got too much hair in its eyes, he might judge you on that. <laughs> no. But, um, I mean, it's all fun. All the circuits have their, you know, their pros and cons. Um, you know, to me, for me personally, this was just, kind of drew me a little bit more um and there you know the nice thing is is it's it you just have to have six qualifying runs you don't have to have six first place runs to go to the nationals um as long as you got six qualifying runs you know and then the the national tournament um actually held in february um this year it's in alabama um the money that you can win out there like they pay out pretty good like thousands of dollars so and I got into it. <clears throat> I was actually watching Outdoor Channel, and uh, there was the BDC, which is the Bird Dog Circuit. Um, yeah, I, uh, I remember seeing on that. There. Yeah, and uh, one of the episodes, they actually had a couple guys that ran because some of those trials they would dual sanction between BDC and UFTA, and uh, these guys ran UFTA, and uh, I looked up UFTA and that. About a half hour from where I live, there was a guy, uh, Brandon Tarquinio, that ran, he was the state representative for Pennsylvania. He held trials not too far from my house. So, uh, and I believe you guys have, have gone up to Pennsylvania and, and have met those guys. And I think Nick, did you did you have a, a dog from a guy that did UFTA as well? Yeah, I got Rachel from uh, Jeremiah Moore, who uh, I believe actually got. I don't know if he got Brandon started or, or I know Brandon got a dog from him. So it's just kind of full circle, small world again. So, uh, you know, he was real big into the UFTA and his, that's what his, uh, lines was primarily tested in before I got her started. And, uh, so small world and I've, I've met Brandon and, and those folks up at Jeremiah's place doing a couple training weekends before. Yeah. So, I mean, that's how I got into it. Um, Level of success. So I, I've been, I've been dabbling in UFTA. Um, when I moved from Pennsylvania to North Dakota, uh, the closest UFTA field trial guys were about six hours away, and you know it's kind of <laughs> they they were all flushing guys. And at the time, I didn't have a flushing dog, so there was no pointing trials close to where I was at. And I'm like, I live in North Dakota. I don't need to do field trials. I've got wild birds to hunt, you know, Absolutely. For four months out of the year. So their season up there is pretty long. So I kind of got out of it. Um, but when I came to Kentucky, UFTA is huge here in Kentucky. And there's actually a local chapter in Elizabethtown, um, the Lincoln trail, uh, UFTA chapter and quill forever. Um, so they've got great training grounds. They're about 40 minutes from my house. Um, I've heard that they've got some of the best field trial grounds in the country for UFTA. And uh, so my first dog, Ruger, that I had, the first trial that I ever ran, um, I ended up getting seventh place with him out of like 25 or 30 dogs. Um, that's impressive. And, you know, I started, what's that? I said, that's impressive. Yeah. Um, 
and, and I started looking around, and it was all the guys from the Outdoor Channel were there at Brandon's trial. Oh, man. Um, so I'm like, well, I've seen that guy on TV before. I saw that guy on TV before. You know, so it was kind of, for me, it was very surreal, like, wow, this is awesome. And, uh, you know, from there I did a few trials, and then I ended up moving to North Dakota in, in uh, 2014, the beginning of 2014. And so I hadn't really done it until I came down here to Kentucky. Um, and uh, I, I dabbled in it a little bit when I first got here, but my dogs were I, – I didn't really have the time to, to dedicate the training for the specific trials. Um you know, because it's all about time and speed with those, and, and you need a fast dog out the gate to get that first bird and, you know, roll through. We're hunting about a 10 to 15-acre field um, trying to find three birds in 15 minutes or less. Um, so my dogs were kind of conditioned to be out there all day hunting, and, uh, you know, they weren't really that fast out the gate. But um, this past summer... Josh and I had discussed me handling some of his dogs, and that's how I ended up getting Tuck. And uh, Tuck was already um, on his way to be qualifying, qualified as an amateur dog for UFTA. So I got him qualified on the rest of his runs. Um, so, but from here on out, I'm going to be running Tuck and my uh, lab Gunner in the flushing, and uh, and then Axel, the new puppy. He's going to grow up as a UFTA dog. So I'm going to start him off, you know, from the beginning doing that stuff. So. There you go. Oh. Yeah, I haven't, haven't, haven't got the success of it yet. I mean, Tuck, the first time I took him out this year at a trial, uh, I think it was a 35 dog. We did two amateur trials, 35 dogs each. And I got ninth place uh, in both of them. And, and basically um, the... The first one, I would have had about a four-minute run, um, but I forgot to take my safety off as I walked up to the dog. <laughs> oh, and, man. Uh, it goes click when you pull the trigger and the safety's not <laughs> So nope. um, I would have had I would have had a really quick run, but had to take a partial retrieve because the bird flew about 200 yards and he pointed it again and uh, had to go down and, and reflush it and shoot it. Um, so, but I did get um, the last field trial that we had in December. Uh, um, I ran doubles with um, our president's grandson, uh, and we ended up getting third place in that trial in doubles. It was the first time I'd ever ran doubles, so uh, definitely excited for the future uh, and kind of dabbling in all the disciplines within UFTA. So, absolutely, yeah. We've we've talked about potentially doing some of those shoot to retrieve trials. Maybe when we get done testing NABDA, just kind of different game, different different activity to keep us busy because we don't stay busy enough as it is. But uh, I guess let's just get back to the uh, Bluegrass Uplanders. Kind of tell everybody what you and your group envision it kind of in the next year or two. What's the future of Bluegrass Uplanders? So, you know, I think obviously with something like this, there's tons of ideas floating around. Um our primary thing as a group, you know, aside from training the dogs, is guiding at the local preserve here in uh, Cecilia, Kentucky, Don's Hunting and Fishing Adventures. Um, his son-in-law is taking it over as Don is moving to Florida for the winter and, and summering up here in Kentucky. Um, so, you know, we, we primarily, as far as a group with the guiding, kind of help him out. Um, you know, but this Bluegrass Uplanders thing as we've been putting content out there on social media, people have been reaching out to us. Um, you know, and obviously our goal is to, as hunters, is to chase those wild birds. And uh, we've been invited on multiple people's property um, because of this to go and hunt wild birds on their property. You know, they had bird dogs back when they were kids, and Papa had bird dogs, but they don't have bird dogs anymore, but they got the property that has birds on it. So um, multiple people have reached out with, to us on that. Hey, I got the property. You guys got the dogs. Come on out and hunt. And, you know, for us, if, if I don't even carry a gun, and they do, I'm not worried about that, you know, as long as we're getting out there and, and, and getting our dogs on birds. Um, so And, and kind of that concept and moving forward of, you know, 
getting permission to hunt on people's property. As, as a deer hunter, you might have no intent to take that individual out there deer hunting with us. But for me as a bird hunter, if I go to a landowner and say, hey, I want to hunt your property, or can I get permission to hunt your property, would you like to go with us? You know, maybe that individual grew up with dogs and stuff like that. So it might be something that they just don't get the opportunity to do anymore. Um, you know, so it's kind of not the overall concept, but, you know, part of what we're, you know, kind of looking at doing, um, you know, and it's just kind of a way to showcase our interest in our hobbies and, and what we like to do in the bird dog world. Yeah. Um, and you get to meet kind of like you guys that, you get to meet some really nice people too. Uh, Nick and I ended up with a situation like that recently where we got permission to hunt a piece of property and, and the guy said, can I go along with you? And we're like, yeah, it's your property. Come on. So, uh, you know, he walked around with, with me one day and sure enough, he had a bird dog as a kid and it brought back a lot of memories for him. And it's exactly the deal you're talking about um, where you get to run your dog maybe not even shoot birds. They want to shoot birds. It, it's a, it's a good way to get some access sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's kind of the, the whole thing. Um, and it's, all this is kind of a whirlwind. So a lot of it is, is coming together as we go. Um, you know, we've also been reached out by some, um, whitetail outfitters in the local area that want to offer something different. Um, you know, a guy might pay $5,000 to come hunt whitetail on their property and, and he might tag out on the first day. Well, he didn't just pay $5,000 to hunt for one day, you know, so those guys have reached out to us and maybe offer that as a, you know, something to go along with that whitetail hunt property that they have, um, you know, whether it be put and take or some of them, you know, might have wild birds on their property that, you know, just don't have the opportunity to hunt them because granted, you know, these dogs are definitely a, a huge thing, especially when you take on the number of dogs that we have. Um, you know, it's not not something that everybody wants to do, you know, to manage a kennel and, and get that personable, you know, a, a kennel at a place that, you know, they take the dog out to hunt it and then put it back. You know, that it's you know, not the, the way that we do things, at least. These are all family members, as you guys' dogs are, too, so. Yeah. And I, and I think what you just mentioned a, a second ago is, is really important. People talk about trying to get private access all the time, but they don't ever consider inviting the landowner along with them. And, I mean, that's kind of what Adam got this piece of private property because he was like, yeah, I'll come over and help cut wood. And he didn't even realize that there were quail on the property. And then while he's cutting wood, he hears some quail, and he's next thing you know, we have access to it. So that that's a good tip for everybody to learn is if you have a good private parcel you have your eyes on, go uh, go invite them to go hunt because there's a there's a history and tradition down here it's in the southeast especially with quail and you you can probably gain access a lot quicker by inviting them on there. Yeah, absolutely. And that you know might trigger something, and now we got another person back in the in the bird dog. Um, world you know they might go and get a, a dog themselves and you know and then you might get the opportunity to mentor and help that guy train his dog so possibilities with it are definitely endless for sure so we're going to get together soon and hunt uh tell listeners what we're gonna what we're gonna be chasing so we're gonna um try to hit some public land up here in kentucky um definitely as a bird hunter um it's it's one of the things I still can't get over is, uh, you know, where's that spot at? Where's your secret grouse hunting spot at? Right. Um, <laughs> spotting. So all I can say is we're going to be getting on some public land, um, chasing after Mr. Bob White. And, uh, you know, hopefully, I mean, like I said, I, I like to put out there that, uh, you know, we're, we're taking the, the guns and the dogs for a walk and it might turn into a bird hunt. Yeah, we uh, feel the same way. We're going we for a hike dogs are in front of us and you're carrying a shotgun um it's a it's a good outlook to have going on a hunt around here yep absolutely it happened to us a couple of weeks ago we uh i'm fortunate enough to live right here next to fort knox with uh you know thousands of acres to hunt and uh there's some spots i obviously can't reveal where they're at but um you don't have, a couple the, buddies you go don't with have the coordinates with you no 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 i i can't i can't 
I can't reveal that information. <laughs> I can tell you where the impact area is, but you might not want to go out there. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it, it was a you know a gun and, and dog walk, and it, uh, my buddy ended up. Uh, the dogs were kind of down off to the to the right in the wood line, and uh, he actually put the first bird up. Um, but it turned into a, a walk in the woods into a quail hunt. So, uh, and we ended up moving two cubbies in that same spot. So. Well, we're looking yeah, forward to point. it. I'm I'm looking forward to checking out Kentucky. I haven't hunted Kentucky yet, even though I I drive through it to go to other states to hunt. So I'm looking forward to doing it. And Corey, we appreciate you coming on, kind of telling everybody what bluegrass uplanders are. And we thought it was a good idea. You know, we, we preach all the time about finding like-minded individuals, mentors, just training partners to kind of help stoke the fire and keep everybody moving and, and proactive as they prepare their dogs and get out hunting and 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 ultimately like you said a minute ago it kind of brings more people into the fold as you as you all kind of move forward together yeah definitely i appreciate you guys having me on awesome Corey. well we'll touch base with you later and uh guys we'll see you next week thank you for listening to gdiy if you enjoy this podcast please remember to take a moment to rate review and share with a friend also be sure to follow us on facebook and instagram under gundog it yourself if you really enjoy this podcast and would like to contribute even more to future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.